Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 160 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Woohoo! <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, we're coming to you directly after recording College Football Throwdown episode 159. That episode was all about the Nebraska Cornhuskers, both in terms of uh, college football and college volleyball, so we hope you enjoyed listening to that one. Uh, this episode will be focus squarely on the national world of college football, uh, the news that's happened last week, as well as the big games and what's coming up for week nine of college football. Uh, so we'll be foregoing our usual uh, cold beverages and diving right into the discussion. Yes, let's do that. That sounds good. We, there, there's just so much to talk about in college football. Yes, that's why we felt we had to split this one up for you listeners out there. Um. So in terms of uh, news, the big one that has been a big talking point is this news uh, coming out of Michigan that they are being investigated by the NCAA for um, stealing signals, basically illegally uh, scouting opponents at games, things of that nature. Um, I was reading uh, an article that was talking about this, and it, it was saying that Oftentimes, these sorts of disputes are settled privately, right? Like the NCA and the institutions, you know, uh, you know, basically figure things out behind closed doors or like come to some sort of negotiation, you know, for a penalty or what have you. Um, so it's a little bit unusual that it's become so public. Uh, and part of that may have to do with the fact that Michigan was already under an investigation for a previous recruiting violation that Jim Harbaugh sat the first three games out for earlier this year. Uh, but then also this particular uh, signal stealing uh, program that apparently was going on in Michigan is clearly quite extensive, as we're now seeing with lots of, you know, paper trails uncovering, you know, uh, people going to this game into that game, you know, uh, consistently for quite a while now. So what is your initial take on this latest scandal? Well, I agree that your summary at the beginning about the fact that these particular kinds of rules violations are often kind of handled uh, between the NCA and the institution. And if they find out that somebody's doing that kind of breaking those kinds of rules, that they would, um, you know, address that, you know, have a separation between the people involved and the university uh, and, uh, you know, get some assurances from, from the institution that, Hey, you know, this is not happening anymore and it's never going to happen again. You know, we've got some checks and balances in place to make sure of it. And then we're going to give you these, you know, uh, penalties. We are going to take away a certain number of scholarships for X number of years, or we're going to limit your coach's ability to go out and recruit or those kinds of things. But you, you're, you hit it on the head that, that, as this information is coming out, number one, it's it's Michigan, the number two team in the country, uh, possibly the number one team in the eyes of a lot of people uh, based on their performance so far this year. It's Jim Harbaugh, who's already got uh, dealing with a little bit of a black eye from his, his buying uh, recruits hamburgers, which is another joke, but it's really not about that. They accused him of basically not telling them the truth. And that's the thing that brought the hammer down from the NCAA on that issue and so now here you got michigan basically thumbing their nose at the ncaa's rules again and 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 obviously doing something 
that appears to have been going on in a coordinated fashion for maybe as long as three years. And if the paper trail and digital trail that they're able to uncover and produce actually confirms that that's true, um, and this was something that the university or the staff, some of the staff knew about, then that's going to look really, really bad for the university. And I think it's going to be one of those things that will just motivate Jim even more to go to the NFL. I mean, he's been dancing with the NFL for the last few years. Uh, I think he fully intended to be an NFL coach this year, frankly. He was very aggressive in going after you know, a couple of NFL jobs this past offseason, and I think he will absolutely do that after this season uh, uh, because of this event. Right. Well, I even saw a post on Reddit today that was basically saying that uh, when the turnaround in Jim Harbaugh's coaching career happened, right, where in these last, like you say, three years, um, he's had a very good record, you know, in the point nine range, right, like winning 90% of his games, whereas before then he was more around like 67%, I want to say, um, that, it, right. that it correlated with the first occurrences of this paper trail of – uh, people going to games, being paid for by, you know, Michigan uh, athletic department to uh, potentially steal signals. Um, now, my question to you, coming as a younger college football fan, you know, someone less experienced in the history and everything, is just how common is this? Because, of course, you know, people have, you know, scouted out other teams and stealed signals and done kind of shady things since the early days of college football. So, it's kind of a question of, you know, well, everybody does it, you know, so just don't get caught or is this more extraordinary? You think? Well, uh, I'm going to say that a couple of things. Number one, yes. The idea of scouting other teams has been a part of the sport for as long as I can remember. All right. Going back to my childhood. So that's not new. Uh, now there, I, I don't. I didn't even know that that this specific rule existed for NCAA college football. That that teams could not send a person to scout a, a, a future opponent, uh, and I guess that was to limit them from doing some of these more sophisticated activities. And and in conjunction with that rule, they also also forced the institutions to share film with each other to to remove the need for someone to have to be there right and so it was it was probably an effort by the NCA to save the coaching staffs from themselves right by making it illegal so no one would do it but then also making it so that all the teams have to give each other their film so that someone can't hide the film of of their former uh, of their previous games from uh, you know, a future opponent or anything like that. Right. So, so for those reasons, it, it, it made all, it formalized that exchange of film and supposedly conceptually, you don't need to, you don't need to have somebody there right now in this newer age of, you know, hand signaled, uh, uh, sending plays in by hand signals and stuff, rather than, um, a quarterback calling his own plays, which, used to be the way it was, or even more likely in the interim was, you know, like in Tom Osborne's era, he ran a player on the field every play. It was usually a wide receiver, 
and they because they were often exchanging every play anyway, different personnel groupings. So the wide receiver would bring in the play, share it with the quarterback, and then the quarterback would reiterate it and display it to the whole team in the huddle. But now that everybody's in this, you know, look to the sidelines, don't huddle situation, now the, all these fancy signals have come into play, right? right. So I think it's been that evolution. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been the evolution that has, yeah, and the signs, exactly, that has made that a more significant thing. Now, uh, getting back to this specific circumstance with Michigan, I think it's the fact that there is a paper trail that that clearly shows that this particular person who was an employee of the university in some low-level capacity of the athletic department was, in fact, attending games. And as recently as coming this week, this past weekend, a game we're going to be talking about, Ohio State, Penn State, this person had purchased tickets for both sides of the stadium. He had two right. tickets to the Ohio State-Penn State game uh, so that he could observe both sidelines. Right. Uh, so he was scouting both teams because Michigan still has to play them both. So uh, he was thinking he was being creative because he was going to kill two birds with one stone here in terms of his whatever his standard evaluation process was. But um, with that kind of data and, and paper trail and Venmo accounts where he was getting paid to offset for all of this travel and, and the expense of going to these games. Um, you know, this low level guy probably isn't doing that out of the goodness of his heart. So someone's paying him for that, right? If all that comes out to be true and it was organized and it's been going on for three years and they can prove that, that becomes a bigger deal, especially since it's Michigan. This isn't just Timbuktu U. This is the University of Michigan doing that, right? And, and again, back to your original point, correlation to uh, Michigan's rise to success happens to correlate with that timing right now obviously uh i don't buy into that narrative fully because there's a whole bunch of other reasons why you know jim harbaugh has had uh you know the success he's had at michigan in recent years in terms of personnel right recruiting uh coaching changes you know all sorts of different things but Mm -hmm. this cannot be discounted as a factor among one among many in that success that is correct and that's the way i would uh, uh, categorize it or, or, or qualify it as well. Uh, you know, how significant any of this effort really was in terms of giving them a competitive advantage. Yeah, I don't know. And, and so here's, here, I want to give you a Pat, uh, Matt rules perspective on this. Cause he was asked about it in his press conference today and we're recording this on a, on a Monday. So he was at his press conference for his upcoming game against Purdue. And, and basically he kind of, uh, uh, downplayed it and said, Hey, I don't know anything about what's going on at, at Michigan or any of that. Uh, but he acknowledged that frankly, you know, the, the idea that there's scouting going on, uh, uh, is, uh, is something that is pretty common. And frankly, even if you don't have somebody physically there, uh, because coaching staffs have so many shared relationships because, you know, coaches tend to turn over a lot and they, they switch from one staff to another over life. So they have a lot of connections, right? So it's not that hard for a coach to pick up the phone and talk to one of his good friends who he's spent, you know, a ton of time with because they were on a staff together in the, in their past and say, Hey, you just played XYZ university. Hey, tell me about this and that. And can you give me some insight into, you know, their signals, right? So 
the idea that that kind of information wasn't being shared is a little naive. It absolutely was, right? And and so as a coaching staff, you need to know that that's likely, and you need to have some precautionary things in place to accommodate that, right? Right. So this isn't some big, huge aha moment, but uh, Rule also took that the the opportunity to say the real crux of this is an NCAA issue. The NCAA shouldn't have this rule. Hmm. It's, it's, it's so hard to enforce. It's, it's, you know, it, it's just unnecessary. If you just do a couple of simple things, number one, if you, if you actually, um, allowed the institutions, the NCAA, at least division one, because they can afford it to have the, uh, helmets with, uh, with the, uh, microphone speaker, uh, in the ear, right? Like they have in the NFL. So that the quarterback can talk and communicate with the coach. Right. So the coach gives the quarterback the signal uh, directly. Okay. Then you, you don't need any of those signals on offense. Similarly, on defense, you have one player, you know, the leader of the defensive system, and you can communicate that to him if you want, or you can still use signals on defense, you know, whatever you choose to do. But you, you do that. And then in addition, you know, right now, high schools can use iPads, for example, on their sidelines. They can share photographs from what's, you know, somebody can be taking pictures up in the press box and sending them, you know, by uh, cellular or Bluetooth or whatever to somebody who's got iPad. So you can be coaching your guys about formations and things like that. That's allowed at the high school level, but it's not allowed in the NCAA but it's allowed in the NFL. The NFL has a system that every team uses, right? It's the same, like they're, it's sponsored by IBM or whoever, I don't know. But the bottom line is there's a system. The right. NCAA should have that. If they had those two things, this is a non-issue. You right. know, no one would do it because they wouldn't have to. So, so um, you know, that's, that's, Matt Rule's point as a guy who's coming back from the NFL, it's like, you know, stop being so damn antiquated. Use the technology that's available to you. This is a non-issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a good perspective from, like you say, someone who has experience in the NFL. Um, and, you know, sure, it would be an extra expense, say, for like, you know, providing for these microphones, right, for every uh, quarterback and every coach, you know, in all of Division One or whatever. Um, but given the, you know, multi-millions, you know, that these programs are generally pulling in through their, uh, football programs and things like that, surely a, you know, couple hundred dollars for some microphones, you know, is going to break the bank, right? Like the technology has gotten more advanced. Yeah. Even if it's $10,000 a school, then you know what? You shouldn't be division one football if you can't do that. Now, if you still want to have these antiquated rules for division two and division three, because the money isn't there. Okay, it's fine. But don't don't hold back division 1. Right. Okay. Um last point on this, have you talked at all to uh Brian Clower, our resident uh, Michigan fan about all this? Oh, yes. Well, and and you know, he, he is willing to acknowledge that you know, if 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 after the dust settles, it's pretty clear that this was an organized coordinated thing and that Jim knew about it then that changes his view a little bit of, about Jim. And 
and it's a black mark. And, and he thinks that Michigan should be punished in some way. Now, the severity of it is probably the, the item that he's not as clear on, right, as to just exactly how significant was this supposed advantage that they had because they were doing this. But it does point and, and frankly, starts to highlight a trend that Jim Harbaugh has always been a guy that was pushing the envelope. You, re, now, remember that Jim Harbaugh is the guy, you know, we had satellite camps for a couple of years and then satellite camps got outlawed because of Jim Harbaugh. You know, Jim Harbaugh is the guy that was staying overnight and sleep doing slumber parties with recruits who were like, you know, 15 years old, weird shit like that. Jim Harbaugh has always been a guy that was a little bit of an odd duck who was always pushing the envelope. He's competitive to a fault. And uh, so any way that he can get a, an advantage or, or whatever, or, or interpret a rule that that he can push, he he does it, and he's done that throughout his career. So uh, this is not new, right? That he's a guy that's willing to push the envelope. So I think if you talked with him, even if it turns out that he was absolutely new about this, he would argue, hey, you know, I was skirting the rules, but I was on the right, the correct side of the rules, and and you guys are just misinterpreting it. Uh, that's the way he would probably view it. Uh, but, but I think Brian, I think Brian is, is, is at the point where I think like, like I said at the beginning, I think it's just an indication. It'll be another reason why, uh, Harbaugh most likely moves on to the NFL after this season, he's going to be done with all this BS. And, and I think there's enough NFL general managers and owners who respect his successful history as a collegiate or i mean as a professional head coach that someone's going to throw a lot of money at him yeah well we'll obviously keep our eye on that when we get close to the end of the season and we're looking at coaching changes and things like that um focusing now on week eight of college football uh we gave some predictions on the previous podcast about how some of the big games would turn out uh the biggest of course was the game you mentioned earlier ohio state penn state which Apparently was going to be scouted by this Michigan guy. Uh, I predicted that Ohio State would win in a high-scoring game, 32, uh, 42-31, while you predicted that Penn State would win uh, 38-28. Th- I'm sorry, 31-28 Penn State. That was your prediction. Uh, but it ended up being quite a low-scoring game where Ohio State won at home uh, 20-12. Um and uh, yeah, I was uh, I was not able to watch much of that game live, but I did watch the highlights afterwards, um, and it was impressive uh, how both of their defenses came to play. Um, but uh, not the most uh, exciting game, I guess, for a top ten matchup. Right. I mean, it was like ten to six at halftime, and 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 even well into the third quarter, it just yeah. It was not the type of game that I thought it was going to be. Although there were some amazing individual performances, you know, uh, even offensively, right? But the defense has just found ways to keep teams from scoring. So, um, but I, I think it also indicates that there is a, a little bit of a flaw in both of those teams' offensive uh, prowess, right? Um, um, Ohio State is an incomplete offense. And so is Penn State. Right. Um, an important point to note is that uh, Penn State actually scored a final touchdown with just 30 seconds left to go in the game, right? So at that point, I believe it was still uh, uh, 
20, either 20 to five or 20 to six. Um, and so they scored yeah, 26. Right. And uh, I, they must have went for two. Right. Didn't get it. And they had the opportunity mm-hmm. for like, you know, a possible onside kick Hail Mary type thing. But obviously that didn't happen for them. Um, and I think one turning point was that uh, Penn State went for it on fourth down with seven minutes left to go while they were, I believe they're on like their own 45 yard line and they didn't get it. So, right, that gave Ohio State then an easy score, which they then did. A Got short a, field. Right, right. Short field for a touchdown. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a question where you, that's a tough coaching call, right? Because for James Franklin, because. Uh, seven minutes left in the game, you know, it's not it's not the point where you have to go for it on fourth down because you've got no time left, right? So maybe you could argue your defense has played well. Why don't you just punt it, try to pin Ohio State deep and get another chance? Because they did end up getting another chance at the ball after that um, and scored that touch, late touchdown, like I mentioned. So um, I'm sure he's getting some scrutiny for that one. I, I 100% agree, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little later in this podcast, um, so I'll, I'll come back around to that. But yes, that it, it's amazing how, again, I think one of the biggest flaws that current coaches have versus maybe what would have been more typical um, you know, a generation ago is patience, right? And, and I get that the, the rules are very different today. Than they were then in terms of how the clock runs and under what circumstances the clock runs or continues to run, you know, and things of that nature, which which obviously changed the dynamic of what is enough time. But there are examples of coaches who have that patience, and then there are examples of coaches who don't. And we've obviously talked about that as it re- relates to Nebraska before. So you get where I'm going. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, the other game we gave a prediction for was Alabama versus Tennessee. I predicted that Alabama would win 28 to 20. You predicted a bit higher scoring, uh, 28 to 14 victory for Alabama. Uh, and it, and it did end up being an Alabama victory of, uh, 34 to 20. It was a home game for Alabama. Uh, and actually Tennessee was winning at halftime, uh, 20 to seven and had, you know, controlled the game up to that point. But then Alabama really flipped a switch and went on a 27-0 streak in the second half. So shut Tennessee out, scored a bunch of points on their own. You know, I believe they got a pick sit or a scoop and score was one of those uh, touchdowns. So uh, Nick Saban got his team together in the second half and uh, managed to avenge their defeat to Tennessee from last year. Yep. And, well, and there's some indication or there's some people who want to suggest that that second half was the aha moment for Alabama, that Alabama has now officially found their quarterback, found their offensive identity and look out. The juggernaut is back. We'll, we'll see in the coming weeks if that's turns out to be true or not. Cause I, it, it looks like they're on a collision course with Georgia. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, you know, we, we'd expressed some doubts about Tennessee on the previous podcast because they'd also had some struggles and kind of frustrating losses already this season. So uh, I'm not sure that aha moment will hold up against a defense like Georgia's, uh, but we'll see. Um, and then this one, we didn't, we talked about it, uh, but we didn't give a full prediction for it, which was Michigan, Michigan State, right? A rivalry near and dear to our hearts coming from Michigan. Um, and even though it was a home game for MSU, we predicted that Michigan uh, could win quite soundly in that one. And that certainly ended up being the case. It was a 49 to nothing drumming by Michigan. Right. 
Well, and 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 the the sad news is that Michigan State lost their cool, had a lot of personal foul penalties, including one in which a player was ejected, uh, and f- frankly should be injected for multiple games based on you know the the circumstance because he he unloaded on a guy uh basically uh, came up from uh, and hit him in the back after a after an interception and, and out of frustration and ended up you know putting his helmet into it uh, into his back slash helmet and speared him um and the, that guy could have been hurt really bad frankly he basically got you know, assaulted in the middle of the football field. Right. And so Michigan State's got some issues. Yeah, well, and, you know, we know that they've had their issues. I mean, because I even saw a, a post online that was talking about that uh, locker room, you know, fight that Michigan Michigan State had yep. last year, right, which got a lot of attention. I, I'm honestly kind of forgotten about that. Yep. But there's probably yep. still some bad blood from that, plus Michigan State's many oh, – yeah. Difficulties this year with losing their coach and the tough losses they've had this season so far. So, yeah, I'm sure it's not a great mentality at that program right now. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But it is what it is. And Michigan moves on. Yep. Uh, and then, though, this was quite an exciting game. Uh, USC versus Utah. Uh, USC was ranked 18th. Utah was ranked 14th, but it was at home for USC. Uh, and it ended up being a Utah victory of 34 to 32. Uh, Utah was actually up 31-26 with three minutes left in the game, and USC had a nice drive, managed to score, right, to take the lead. Um, But then uh, Utah, with just a few seconds left, right, they had very little time left in the game, Um, but they, uh, they got a big play with 16 seconds left on the clock. They were at midfield, and they managed to, I think their quarterback went on a run and got to the 20-yard line, which then set up a 38-yard field goal, which they got, which ended up winning the game for them. Uh, and I remember on the previous podcast, you had said after USC's uh, tough loss the previous week uh, that if they lost again here to Utah, right now had two losses, that their season could potentially start to spiral. So do you still hold to that uh statement well you know they actually played better against utah than i thought they would um and um so uh, i gotta give give them some credit for having some resiliency in that so maybe it's not as likely but i just think that i still would stand by my suggestion that usc's you know focus and um their success the rest of the year is going to be diminished going forward. There's a they're already distracted by all the conversation. Uh, national pundits are, are are or national people are advising their quarterback to shut 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 himself down for the season. Just basically step back and stop playing uh, because he was going into the season. You know the Heisman Trophy winner and a likely first draft choice rather than risk injury. So when when you start having outside messaging like that, that can do a lot of negative things for your program. Right. Yeah. Well, and 
I'm not exactly sure what's up with Cable Williams because I remember, I believe it was before the game last week, right, which they lost in embarrassing fashion and he played terribly. He was talking about like wanting equity and like whatever NFL team he signs with, you know, and right. kind of riding on that high, right, of being the, the clear number one draft choice and the best quarterback in college football and all that. Uh, but that stock has dropped right. a bit here in recent weeks, right? So it's a lesson not to run yep. your mouth. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and and this idea that you can dictate terms like that and do so publicly is really stupid. Yeah, he, he's got some bad advice around him. That's what a, that which leads me to believe he might not be the kind of guy that you want to turn your franchise over to. He, he sounds like a guy that could easily crash and burn yeah. no matter how physically talented he is. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and then this was quite an interesting game in the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin ended up being beating Illinois 25-21. to 21. It was a home game for Illinois. And actually, Illinois uh, was leading the whole game until the last 30 seconds when Wisconsin managed a late score that put them in the lead. Um, and this is the same Illinois team that Nebraska beat, right? So uh, definitely kind of a surprise um, but Wisconsin managed to escape a, uh, a death trap, as they say. Exactly. It really looked like Illinois was going to close it out. And, and then they, and then they gave up that late score and, and it just devastating, right. For Illinois. But had that happened, that would have had a huge, uh, implication for, uh, the, the big 10 West. But as it is now, you know, that keeps Wisconsin, in the driver's seat, so to speak, for um, for the Big Ten West Championship. Right. And then uh, this game stood out to me when I was looking through the scores. Uh, Washington versus Arizona State, right? Washington uh, coming yeah. high off of their victory over Oregon, right? Being the leaders in the Pac-12, uh, ranked number five. And it was a home game against Arizona State, uh, but they only won 15-7. to And it was a game where they had four turnovers, it was actually a very close game. I believe it was uh, like eight, eight to seven, you know, late in the game, pretty late in the game. But then uh, Arizona State threw a pick six, right, which got Washington up to their 15 points. So they really, 15. right. So they really scored one touchdown defensively and then one offensively, right, which once again for the quarterback that was getting all the talk about being the Heisman front runner now, you know, after his great performance in the Oregon game. Uh, definitely a disappointing one. Right, exactly. Well, and we're at that point in the year now, right, where all these teams have, you know, everybody's been playing for quite a while, six, seven games in, everybody's beat up, you know, the, the, the injuries are starting to mount, the season isn't as fresh and exciting anymore, there's more drudgery in this part of the season, and uh, and so being able to get yourself up mentally to, to compete at the at your highest performance level week in and week out it's a, it's virtually impossible to do you just hope that on the days that you maybe aren't at your peak uh, of of approach and and mentality that you're still able to come out with a victory and that was an example uh, for Washington uh, you know coming off of a, of a emotionally draining uh, major uh, contest the previous week where you had to fight to the very final second um, then you lay an egg but they were able to survive it, right, and win. And that's that's the mark of, of, of a conference champion. Yep. Um, 
And then uh, this one was also quite interesting. Uh, Oklahoma versus UCF. It was a home game for Oklahoma, ranked number six in the country. And the UCF actually went up to an early lead, and it was kind of a back-and-forth game where Oklahoma scored pretty late in the fourth quarter, and then UCF had a great drive and scored after them and uh, went for the two-point conversion, which would have made it a 31-31 game, right? Basically forced it into overtime, uh, but they missed the two-point conversion. So Oklahoma kind of holds on by a thread and avoids the upset, remaining undefeated. Right. Oklahoma has just been riding under the radar for me until uh, I, I didn't get to watch that game, but I saw the score, saw a few of the highlights, and I'm and and I almost reacted with shock that Oklahoma was still undefeated. I, for whatever reason, I seem to have thought that well, you know, th- they had not they had done so poorly, relatively speaking, last year that I had kind of put them on the shelf and thought, you know, they're not quite ready for prime time. But now here they are undefeated and now right smack in the thick of, you know, the Big 12 Conference Championship race. And if they remain undefeated, I think they're going to all of a sudden be making some real noise nationally. I'm just shocked that that Oklahoma, which is such a historical blue blood, can be sitting there undefeated. And yet I just don't feel like there's that much conversation about them nationally. Right. Well, uh, they managed to overcome the Texas game, which is by far the hardest game they've played so far. And looking at their schedule ahead, they've got uh, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, BYU, and then TCU at the end of the year. In a year where, right, TCU is clearly down from where they were last year. Oklahoma State, you know, has had their fair struggles. Kansas, you know, is kind of a mixed bag. Um, So definitely all doable. So I could very easily see them being undefeated at the end of the year. Right, and then they got to play whoever's the second best team in the Big 12 at the end of the year, which you you have to assume might be Texas. So they may have to face off with Texas again for the Big 12 championship. Right, which given how close the previous game was uh, and how, in my opinion, Texas should have won that game by all rights if they didn't make so many mistakes, I think it might go differently that time, but we'll see. Right, exactly. Speaking of Texas, they played against Houston and interestingly went up 21 to nothing pretty quickly. So it was looking like, you know, game over. Uh, but Houston uh, fought back courageously um, and ended up making it a 31 to 24 game. So Texas did win uh, and Houston had two interceptions. Uh, but despite that, we're able to make it a one score game. Right. And and uh, yeah, and I, I was a little shocked by that score as well. Uh, is fully expecting that Texas would take care of Houston pretty comfortably, but uh, and Houston uh, isn't Houston joining the Big Twelve next year? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting set of circumstances, given that Texas is leaving, and it's just part of that whole transition uh, that made me think of that. But um, Houston's not without talent. All right. And I'm going to go through a series of ACC games that was quite eventful in the ACC this week. Uh, Florida State played against Duke and won that pretty solidly, yes. 38 to 20. Uh, then Miami, but, played- but but Duke was leading that game 20 to 17 in the third quarter, mm. and and then Florida State finally turned on the gas. So Duke Duke actually had the lead. They were at midfield um, and uh, were driving. Uh, for a possible extension of the lead and their quarterback who is the key to their team uh, 
went out of the game, re-injured his sprained ankle, uh, and was not able to continue. Uh, and mm. then the wheels came off. I see. That was one I didn't watch the highlights for because I assumed it was, uh, you know, a pretty solid victory for FSU. But that's interesting to hear that it was that close. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, which we talked about that a bit before, and we both said, yeah, FSU's talent will probably win out in that one. Um, and then there was uh, Miami versus Clemson, which went into double overtime with Miami winning yeah. twenty eight to twenty. Uh, and then perhaps most surprising of all, a one in five Virginia team beats the 10th ranked North Carolina at home for North Carolina, yeah. 31 to 27. That's inexplicable. And of course I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm literally in Chapel Hill right here, <laughs> practically where, where we're staying right now. And so that game was going on, uh, and we were watching the volleyball game, <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, uh, crazy yeah very disappointing uh a lot of sad faces around here uh, on sunday (laughs) well and frankly i watched the highlights of that game and it should have been worse because uh, virginia had two turnovers in the end zone where you know they were in the red zone they i think they the one was a pick and one was a fumble i want to say um so frankly, the game should have been put away earlier by Virginia, uh, which is pretty crazy, right? For a team that has lost five times so far this year uh, to kind of have right. that turnaround. And North Carolina is a team that has looked dominant. I mean, uh, let's see, they beat they beat uh, uh, Minnesota, right, for the Big Ten in their non-conference, and I feel like they 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 won another significant game. And they were basically they and Florida State were the front runners in the sec. Right. I'm not sec, ACC. Right. Yeah. North Carolina had beat uh, Miami uh, the previous week. Um, they beat Pittsburgh earlier in the year. They beat Minnesota. Uh, they did have a close one against Appalachian state, which went into overtime and they beat South Carolina. Mm. So yeah, solid wins for sure. Um, and then that uh, Clemson game, uh, Clemson, once again, uh, they had a fumble basically on a touchdown. Like he was literally falling into the end zone for the touchdown and the ball came out and went the other way. Uh, so that turned out to be pretty critical in a game which goes into overtime. Uh, but uh, good for Mario Cristobal there at uh, Miami, right? Managing to uh, get a good win on his resume after his embarrassing loss uh, two weeks ago. Right. Well, and uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm no fan of Miami. You know that, but I'm going to tell you that because that guy's recruiting lights out, you, you better look out because in a year or two, Miami is going to be back and in the mix, especially since Clemson seems to have truly, you know, taken a step back because they're now a few years removed from being a true uh, national championship competitor. Uh, you know, and I don't really know what their recruiting is looking like this year, but but I just have a feeling Miami and Florida State's reemergence is is that train continues to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Because I remember when looking at the Mario Cristobal comments after that game, all the Oregon fans are basically saying, yeah, he's a great recruiter. He'll bring in the talent, but he can't coach. You know, that was their kind of experience with him. So that part. Uh, right. Still remains to be seen, I think. But his recruits are the ones that are kicking ass for Oregon right now. Just an <laughs> FYI. Well, I mean, th- well, that's what they admitted that, right? He's a great recruiter, but, you know, maybe not right. the best at the X's and O's. 
Well, and, and, and sometimes that's because you didn't give him enough time to actually use his recruits and let them mature and then reap the benefit of it. You know, that's a thing where the, 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 you know, the, the Oregon choice was one of those where they wanted to grab their guy when they had the opportunity and they just seized on it and um, kicked Cristobal to the curb. <laughs> right. That's true. Um, and so we've saved uh, one of the most interesting games for last, which is another Big Ten game, uh, Iowa versus Minnesota. In classic Big Ten fashion, it was very low scoring with Minnesota winning 12-10 to 10 over uh, Iowa playing at home in Iowa. And Minnesota's uh, 12 points came via four field goals in true Minnesota fashion. <laughs> uh, but of course, the uh, the real talking point was, of course, the punt return that went for a touchdown that happened for Iowa late in the game that would have given them the lead and probably the overall victory. Uh, it was a great return by that uh, player, uh, but it was overturned on review for an invalid fair catch signal because of kind of a rotation he was doing with his left arm while he was running over to get the ball, um, which obviously upset the Iowa fans. They were throwing things into the stadium. It was a big talking point nationally afterwards about that rule and all that sort of thing. So what was your reaction when you saw that? Well, of course, since Iowa lost, my reaction was very positive and I was happy. Uh, but after I learned more of the details and I actually witnessed the, that punt return play, um, there's no doubt in my mind that that was kind of a cheapy call uh, on the part of the referees. And based on what I understand about the sequence of events, it was particularly wrong uh, in that uh, there was. Um, there was not a flag. I mean, if you're going to call that, uh, as soon as he catches the ball and begins to advance the ball, um, you blow the whistles and the play is over because you say, hey, you, you called for a fair catch. And you give them a five-yard penalty for him trying to advance the ball after calling for a fair catch and, uh, or whatever, and that's it, right? And then, and then um, they play on. But instead... The, the that ref crew let the play go all the way through a, a flag was not thrown uh, uh but there was a hat thrown because they thought he stepped out of bounds okay or at least this is what i understand so the then there was a discussion among the referees and i don't know if they actually sent it up to the booth to review whether he stepped out of bounds or not uh or if they sent it up for a discussion about the to review the waving of the hand right at that point there's confusion because at least on the iowa so sidelines they thought that uh what was being reviewed was did he step out and right. only after the, the 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 referee uh the umpire uh made his statement did they realize that what was being uh identified was that this player had basically uh, uh, waved, in, in the ref's opinion, uh, a fair catch. Why didn't he blow the whistle dead? So that's, a, that's the unanswered question with, for, from regards to the, 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 the ref crew. Right. There was indecision well, there about what the damn rules were. Well, I, I saw a, a statement that was put out, I believe, by the, the big, one of the Big Ten refs who was in that game. It was something on Twitter I saw, and he basically said that uh, – 
it is a review, you know, it, it's something that can be decided in review. And so letting the play uh, play out, you know, when you're, it's not a hundred percent clear, you know, I guess if he signaled for the fair catch or not and letting it be decided in review, he felt was the right decision. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? That makes sense now that, now that you've just presented that description, but if you actually watch it in real time, it is a pretty darn good run back by that punt returner who by the way is you know likely to be you know an nfl draft choice right maybe even a high draft choice because he's one of the best punt returners in the country and has been uh but here's the bigger picture from an iowa fan or even an iowa team standpoint you you had like 125 yards of total offense for the game i think you had like six or 12 yards of offense in the second half. Actually, it was two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I looked that up. Okay, God. Uh, so you have you had no business being close to winning that game anyway. It's crazy to me that they even had a chance to win with that kind of lack of productivity, right? I mean, that's just absurd, isn't it? Right. That's just on the well, face of it. Not it's to crazy. mention they had three turnovers. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So... It couldn't have happened to a better bunch, right? Because those guys have basically been able to back their way into victories against teams that were superior to them simply by letting those other teams make enough mistakes that they could just step up and and accept the gift of the victory, right? And that has been uh, the MO. Now, I, I will say this. What other coaching staff other than... Um, the Iowa coaching staff, you know, which has had great stability and is the old school, uh, you know, has had the patience. Okay. Cause let me tell you what happened in the sequence prior to that. Iowa had the ball at midfield with a minute and 51 seconds to go in the game. Okay. Minute and 51 seconds. I think it was. And they're fourth down and, you know, six or something. And they, chose to punt it okay they had three timeouts they chose to punt it rather than going for it right then okay now given that your offense wasn't doing hardly anything and your defense had obviously done really well i mean they had held minnesota to field goals right but they had the patience to say you know what we're going to trust our defense one more time we're going to punt this ball even though there's a very good chance we won't ever get it back you know uh all Minnesota had to do was get one first down, force them to take some, um, take some timeouts, right, and and uh, and get one first down, and then game's over, right? I was not going to have enough time to do anything, but instead, because he had confidence and patience, he allowed it to play out. He trusted his defense. The defense kept Minnesota from getting a first down, and forced a punt. Now you know you've got one of the best punt returners in the country. And voila, magic happens, right? And contrast that to these other coaches that I've talked about that don't have any patience, right? That have to insist on, you know, go, 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 and 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 trying to be super aggressive, but and 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 uh, what do I want to say? Go for it on fourth down too soon, even though they got the ball back. That was Penn State, right? Right. So there's the contrast right there, and and that's the difference between old school coaching, traditional, if you will. 
and this new wave of coaches and their inability to, to recognize that there's still enough time left here. Let's do that. With a minute 51 left, he punted that ball uh, and then gave himself a chance. And, and sure as shit, it came through. Now, there ended up being a penalty that negated it, but still, it demonstrates the value of that patience. Right. Oh, okay. Well, so a few things. Uh, one, I remember, because uh, I watched the highlights of that game, there was a punt earlier on, I believe, which was like a huge booming punt because I was got a great punter, of course, and they uh, fielded it at like the one-yard line, you know, so they pinned Minnesota super deep. Um, so it just goes to show that philosophy again. Um, two, on the point right. you were bringing up earlier in regards to the umpire, I don't think it would have been appropriate for him to throw a flag regardless because it it's not a penalty, right? It's just a dead ball, you know, uh, statement, right? Like the ball is dead here. Like you say, he should have just whistled it dead potentially. He should have wished. Right. But it, it, I thought it was a five yard penalty. No. If you try to advance it, if no. you've called, if you've called a, a fair catch and then you take off, I think they don't just blow a whistle. I think it's a f- five-yard penalty because if you do that, y- you run the risk of getting hammered. Right. You know what I mean? Like, 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 because now all, everybody else has stopped playing because you called. Maybe I don't know. I, I I have to look that up. Maybe that is a penalty, but what he did, which was a invalid fair catch signal, is not a penalty. I know that for a fact. Correct. That that is true. That is true. But if you if you call officially for a fair catch and then catch it and then you take off, I think there is I think there is like a five yard, you know, procedure penalty or something that you get uh, because they don't want you doing that. That that can be right. dangerous. And then my other point was just could be that I totally agree with you that Iowa fans who are upset about that, you know, punt return being taken back. Obviously, I understand why you are upset. I would be too, because watching it live in the moment, I did not interpret what he was doing as a fair catch signal myself. Right. He was just, he was telling everybody to get away, get away, get away. That's right. all he was saying. Because he, he thought the thing was going to bounce and, and he just didn't want it hitting one of his teammates. Right. But uh, to your point that you mentioned earlier, you can't get too upset about the punt return in that specific moment because your offense had three turnovers. You had so many opportunities. Your, your defense kept Minnesota from scoring a single touchdown, right? So there's all sorts of other reasons why you lost the game, right? You can't pin it all yes, on this exactly. one kind of freak moment. Bad call. Um, yeah. But I specifically did look up the rule uh, because I was curious, of course, after the fact. Um, and so here's the official uh, rule about what a valid signal is for a fair catch in the rule book. So it says a valid signal is a signal given by a player of team B who has obviously signals his intention by extending one hand only clearly above his head and waving that hand from side to side of his body more than once. So that's the traditional, right? You raise your hand, hand over your head. That's what counts as a fair catch. Then there's invalid signal, which is just below it. An invalid signal is any waving signal by a, player of team B that does not meet the requirements above. So basically any movement waving of your hand of your, or of your arm that is not above your head is counted as that you are, you are signaling for a fair catch, but you're doing it in an invalid way. And so then it's a dead ball foul or whatever, right? The ball should be placed there. Okay. So what they were guilty of was the invalid signal. 
because he he was moving his arm back and forth. It was not above his head, and it was only on one side, right? It was just his left arm, right? And and but he he moved it back and forth multiple times. But again, I, I think what he was trying to do was he was he was conveying to his team to stay away, stay away, stay away. Right. Well, you know, uh, what, from the ball. What was interesting was like he was definitely doing that with his right arm. He was like, you know, moving it sideways, like go away. But then the left arm was kind of like rotating in a slightly circular fashion, you know, when he watched right. the replay, um, yeah. which was a little odd. Um, so my interpretation is that the refs were correct that by the book, that is a uh, invalid fair catch signal. But what I believe is that that the rule should be changed because apparently in the NFL, once again, talking about differences between college football and the NFL, uh, like we did uh, earlier when we were discussing the Jim Harbaugh situation um, in the NFL, um, the only thing that counts as a fair catch signal is the waving of the hand above your head. So basically, if you try to do one of these signals where, you know, you moved your arm uh, you know, to the side Sideways. or whatever, right? And then you thought it was a fair catch, and you get smashed, right, by the defender, and you're like wanting a penalty. They'd be like, "No, man, you didn't signal for a fair catch correctly, right?" Yeah, you didn't do it properly. So there isn't this secondary invalid signal. There's just this is what you signal, and if you don't do it this way, you didn't signal, and therefore you're free to get crushed. Exactly. So I personally yep. think that in the gap between this season and the next, the NSA should look into adopting the NFL rule just so it's more clear and we don't get situations like yes. this. Cause clearly, you know, they showed the punt returner on the sideline after the call came out and he had his mouth open and he was clearly devastated. And it obviously was not his intention. Um, so, you know, I hope that we can avoid these sorts of situations in the future. Right. Right. I agree with you. And, and, and oftentimes a circumstance like this has to happen before something like that gets revisited because that particular set of circumstances is unique enough. It's not like it happens all that often, right? Especially not at the end of a game in that kind of a, you know, win loss circumstance. Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully it galvanizes some action. Um, finally, we'll talk a bit about week nine of college football um, there are a few games of interest, of one of which is Oregon versus Utah. Um, Utah, of course, coming off of that uh, close win over USC. And Oregon, uh, they I'm pretty sure they killed whoever they played. It wasn't a particularly interesting game. Um, but it is at home for Utah. Um, so do you think that uh, they can pull off another upset here? You know, they're ranked 13th. Uh, Oregon is ranked 8th. Um, do you think they can uh, manage it? Well, you know, I, I, I'm generally a big fan of Utah, and I love their coach. Uh, however, um, and obviously they just beat USC, but I think, I just feel like Oregon and Washington are better than USC, and and so I'm a little surprised at home Utah didn't win maybe a little more comfortably in their game against USC. So it makes this a little harder for me to choose. I'm going to say Oregon's going to win it. I actually think from a talent standpoint, Oregon just has so much talent. Now I will say that, you know, I've seen this Utah team take a very talented Oregon team and take them to the woodshed (laughs) uh, because of just the sheer physicality and great coaching that, that happens at Utah. So um, 
I'm 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 torn. I'm going to go with Oregon, though. I'm going to go with my gut and say Oregon's going to win this game. It is going to end up being tight, uh, but Oregon's going to just have a little bit too much offense for Utah and uh, is going to end up winning that game. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be uh, 31-28 Oregon. Okay, that will be a close game. Um, so I just looked it up, and I was actually wrong. Uh, so Oregon did win this last week, but it was against Washington State, who's a good team, and it was 38-24. to 24. Good team, yeah. So it was a 14-point victory, right? Okay. So not a blowout. So I was I was wrong about that. Right. Um, and I agree with you because right in our discussion about that Oregon-Washington game, uh, Oregon very well – probably should have won that game, you know, if they had made some different decisions on fourth downs and kicking right. field goals and things like that. Um, so obviously we know they're very talented. Um, so I'm inclined to agree with you that Oregon should win. Um, but since it is at home for Utah and to create a little bit of spice, uh, I think I'm going to say that Utah manages to win this one. Um so I will say that they win by a similar score that they did against USC in a close one. So let's say it's uh, 35 Utah to 31 Oregon. Okay, so we're 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 close, but you're swapping we're swapping who the victor is. And you know what? I mean, I, I'm such a fan of Utah. I'm probably going to be kicking myself for not doing, especially since they're playing at home. Uh, but um, and and like I say, I think Oregon kind of has a as a history of, you know, laying an egg every now and then. So we'll see, but, but I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Oregon's current coach. I think he's a very good coach and they have, they have more talent than Utah. And like, for example, I mean, there's probably four guys on, you know, Oregon's team that, you know, are getting a lot of accolades and lots of national publicity, even though they're out West, give me the name of anybody that plays for Utah. Right. <laughs> I can't name one. Like you do, you don't, yeah. You know, they just don't get any visibility even when they're great. I mean, this is the two time defending champions of the pack 12. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, they have had a couple losses already this year. Right. So it's not looking like they will be the yeah. pack 12 champions this time around. Um, but you never know right. how the end of the season could play out. Exactly. Washington and Oregon could maybe stumble a little. Yeah. Uh, and then in the Big Ten, we've got Ohio State versus Wisconsin, uh, cross-division matchup there. Uh, it is a home game for Wisconsin, uh, but given that they just barely you know, got out of a close one with Illinois and they're going up, up against the talent of Ohio State, uh, I'm not feeling too good about uh, the Badgers on this one. I would agree. I think uh, Ohio State's just too much talent and that Wisconsin's going to lose. Okay. Now uh, you you want me to give a score? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, you know, Wisconsin has really struggled to put a lot of points up so far, more so than I thought they were gonna. And uh, Mordecai is gone for the season. Their their quarterback. So uh, I'm gonna say it's kind of a blowout for Ohio State. So uh, I think Ohio State after this Penn State game is going to be a little pissed about their performance. So I'm going to expect Ohio State's offense to be pretty uh, effective, although the strength of the, the Badger team is their defense. So I'm going to say Ohio State scores 35 points 
but um, Wisconsin scores 17. I like that. Um, it's honestly a pretty tame score for a blowout, I would say. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm inclined to agree that Ohio State will win. Um, I'm going to say it'll be a little bit higher scoring because, um, like you say, uh, Wisconsin's Wisconsin's offense has been a real sore spot for them this year. Um, so I think they will get – I'll stick with your 17. I think that feels right. But that Ohio State will get a 45. Okay. All right. Um, and then uh, we won't give uh, predictions for these, but there are a few other interesting games. Uh, Georgia is playing against Florida at home for Georgia, for Florida. And then uh, Duke and Louisville are playing each other uh, at home for Louisville. Um, do you have any expectations for those games? Wow. So, uh, well, I, I think I think Georgia will find a way to win. Uh, at some point, I'm, I'm I'm expecting them to 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 really look more crisp and clean. Uh, and Florida's been kind of up and down. It's kind of hard to figure out what's going on there. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it is at home for Florida, which is good. But I just think Georgia's got too much talent and uh, finds a way to win. And it ends up being like uh, 28 to 10, uh, although we didn't need to give sports. Uh, and then the other one was Louisville Duke. Boy, um, I think, well, it's going to be interesting because I don't know the status of Duke's quarterback. And whether right. or not he's going to be ready to play this week or not. If if Duke's quarterback plays, Leonard, I think his last name is, um, then I would say Duke's got a pretty good shot. Uh, but Louisville is a team, you know, they've got uh, Purdue's old coach. Um, and he is a really good coach. And they have been performing well. They're the team that beat Notre Dame, right? So... I'm going to say Louisville wins that one. Mm -hmm. uh, Duke fights, fights hard. It's a close game. It's a competitive game, but Louisville wins it, especially if Leonard doesn't play. If Leonard doesn't play, then I think it might not even be close. Yeah, I would agree with you. And one other factor I'm seeing here is that uh, Louisville is coming off of a bye week. So they've had two weeks to prepare for this Duke game. So, Oh, wow. Another okay, yeah, that makes it even more likely. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing in their favor, but Duke has, you know, played it close with pretty much everybody they've played. It feels like this year, even when they lose. Um, so, you know, maybe they'll, they'll manage to surprise us again. Exactly. Right. But that's at Louisville. You said, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that will wrap us up for this episode of college football throwdown. It's been another exciting week and we'll see what, uh, you know, surprises, uh, the college football world throws at us. As we get into uh, playoff time, the college football playoff rankings will start officially next week. So we're getting into that later point in the season where we'll be talking about who the top four teams are. You know, in our last iteration of this format for the college football playoff. Uh, so we'll see how everything plays out. Yes. Well, and, and again, I, I think I, I will make this prediction in generically. This is the time of year. <clears throat> Weather's going to start turning sour and, and teams, you know, are with all these accumulated injuries, weird shit start going to start happening and things are going to come out of the blue where you just unexpected victories. And maybe that North Carolina, Virginia game was the first of, of that type of game. But it just seems like every year around this eighth, ninth week of the season is when 
you know, uh, college football starts to get really bizarre. Guys are who are struggling and academically, who've maybe been playing really well, all of a sudden, you know, fall off the the ledge because they had bad uh, midterms, right? And now their their mind is preoccupied with their grades and they play like crap. <laughs> Just weird <laughs> shit happens. We 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 are dealing with college students. That's true. That is true. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or review there or a comment. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs>